Yeah, me too. Let's pray. Father, the words of Paul, we've made our own. We've each given a testimony. We know who we believe in. We know you are able. Take these moments left. Impress that reality upon our minds, our spirits, and our hearts. We pray pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Chasing Jesus. Lead me into temptation. Open your Bible with me. The words are not going to be on the screen. I want you to read this dramatic story for yourself. Matthew chapter 4. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 4. We'll pick it up at the top of the chapter. Verse 1. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Oscar Wilde once quipped, I can resist everything but temptation. (laughs) The American writer Mark Twain, you've heard of him, he declared, giving up smoking is the easiest thing in the world. I know because I've done it a thousand times. Hey, what is it about temptation that makes it so hard to resist, so easy to give in to? They did some research on rats, divided the rats into two groups. One group, easily enticed or tempted. The other group, not so easily enticed and tempted. They took the group easily enticed and they gave those rats a food cue. They saw food and they noticed those rats produced spikes of dopamine. You know what dopamine is? It's that neurotransmitter produced in our brain. It's what happens when we experience pleasure. Dopamine just just starts squirting into that brain. Dopamine actually helps reinforce the pleasurable behavior, increasing the likelihood that we will repeat that behavior just to get that same feeling. Hey, listen, the behaviors are not all bad. You're thinking evil. No. A beautiful piece of music produces dopamine. You react with pleasure. Some people, in, in, 
with exercise, experience dopamine. They call it the runner's high. There's dopamine in eating. Isn't that pleasurable? And you knew I was going to say it. There's dopamine in sex, of course. Now, look, the flip side is there are some, some stimulants, alcohol, caffeine, painkillers, opioids, and recreational drugs that also create dopamine. Now, back to the rat study. They took the other group less prone to enticement, to temptation. They showed the same food cue, and that group did not produce the dopamine. Hmm. Makes you wonder. Did Jesus experience dopamine spikes? Of course, you've got to believe that he did. When he would see a beautiful sunset, don't you suppose there was pleasure in that? And the more sunsets he saw, the more he experienced that. When he heard music set to his own cultural tastes, same dopamine. But did Jesus experience a dopamine spike when he was tempted? When he was tempted with pleasure? Open your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 4. We were just there. Brand new series, Chasing Jesus. We're going to chase Jesus straight into that barren, rocky wilderness right after his baptism. All right? Matthew chapter 4. I want to share with you the opening salvo to the three gospel accounts. John doesn't say a word about it, but uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. And so here, here are the openings to this very familiar, dramatic story. Matthew 4, verse 1, we just read it. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Mark probably written before Matthew. Mark puts it this way. At once the Spirit sent. Now the old King James says, drove, drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Luke comes along, not to be outdone. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. You see? Do you see a common element? Yeah, there's several. He was led by the Spirit. The Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Full of the Spirit, he was led into the wilderness. And every one of those phrases ends with, and he was tempted. Well, that's the very reverse of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, what do we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation. And yet Jesus, by the Spirit, is led to the wilderness where he's tempted. So I tell you what, there's an automatic good news right here. And that is... Is it a sin to be tempted? Yes or no? No, it's not a sin. Is sexual temptation perhaps the most pervasive temptation on the planet today? Is sexual temptation a sin? It is not a sin. Not at all. Which ought to be good news. In fact, it's quite interesting. I find this intriguing, actually. The, the uh, Greek word for tempting or temptation is pyrazo which can be translated to be tempted or to be tested. It depends on who's in the forefront of the moment. If the devil's in the forefront, that word becomes tempted. If God is in the forefront, that word becomes tested. Watch this, Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. Moses reminding Israel after the 40 years, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble, and what's the next word? And to test. He tested you. To know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. 
The Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tested just the same way he did with the children of Israel, also into the wilderness to be tested. Which means when the devil sees a huge temptation opportunity, guess what? God sees a huge testing opportunity. God does not lead you and me into the testing, hoping we'd fall. Are you kidding? It's just the opposite. Robbie Rainey just read it a moment ago. I want to put it back on the screen because I just love this promise. Man, I hope it's marked up in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And here it comes. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Keep reading. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. What do you think about that? I'd put an amen to that, wouldn't you? I mean, please. He will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. Karen, sitting with me on the front row here, our third granddaughter, just on Thursday, September 1, had her first birthday, Lily. Now, when Lily's mother, Chelsea, or her father, our son, Kirk, or her two older sisters, Ella and Izzy, come to bathe Lily, they do this little ritual. In the, in the uh, plastic tub, the tidy tub, Chelsea puts on that hot water. But she puts her hand in the hot water. She, ooh, ooh, why does she put her hand in the hot water? She wants to know, is this too hot? And the moment if it's too hot, she just, she just adjusts, it'll cool. Why? Because no mother wants to put her baby in water that will burn the child. I mean, please. When your heavenly father puts you in the hot water of that temptation, He's doing the same thing. You say, oh, hold a minute. Gabriel, hold up, hold up, hold up. Ah, well, let, me, let me just check this water. Let me just feel. Yeah, I think she could do this. I believe he could do it with my help. Go ahead. Let the temptation come. Do you know what that means? Every time you are tempted, hold on. Every time you are tempted, you can know God has already checked the temptation out, and he said, that girl, she can do it. That boy, he's with me, never on your own. You can't handle any temptation on your own. But with me, hey, let it go. Watch her now. Man, that's good news. Not only that the temptation is not a sin, but that God has already checked the temptation out in advance to make sure that I can get through this temptation with his power. I was hoping for at least a quiet amen from somebody in this building. Come on, guys. Pretend like you're Pentecostal. Please. Wow. Oh, desire of ages. Oh, this is good. When God brings us into trial or test or temptation, when he brings us, brings us into trial, he has a purpose to accomplish for our good. Come on. Oh, man. It's just, like, it's just like the trainers over here in the Andreasen Center. You know, the Health and Wellness Center. You know, we got a couple guys on our, on our staff. I think there's three, maybe four. These guys are going over there and pressing iron every single day of the week. Makes me sick. You ought to see them now. Just when they stand up, they stand up straight. <laughs> Can't breathe right, but they stand up straight. That's what trainers do. 
puts a little extra weight. No, 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 no. I, oh, I, I, I can't do that. I can't do it. Come on. You got to do it. Remember the belly, the belly. Pull the belly in. Don't stick it out. Pull the belly in. Firm up on the back. You can do it. You can do it. I would not ask you to bear this if you could not do it. Come on. Put your weight in. Do it. See? And the trainer stays right there the whole time. The trainer's not off in the room having a little snack. The trainer's right beside you. It's that way with God. He tests. He knows your limit. He says, all right. Nope, 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 nope. Not that one. Not yet. Not yet. Wow. He will not let you be tempted. He will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. So it was with Jesus. In the increasing intensity of these three temptations, his grip on his father is growing tighter and tighter and tighter. He's being tested. Wow. That's what the Bible says, by the way, of Jesus. Jesus, this is Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Son, though Jesus was, he learned obedience I love that. He learned obedience to what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience through his temptations, and it's ditto for you. Now, I was reading something this last week, and I got to share it with you. G. Campbell Morgan, one of the great English writers of a previous century, title of the book in my library, The Crises of the Christ. I had not thought of this before, and I share it with you now. G. Campbell Morgan, this is a revelation. Speaking of the three temptations, this is a revelation of the perpetual method of Satan and also of his estimate of humanity. All attempts to work the ruin of man and woman by the enemy are based upon a low conception of human life. Who's got the low conception? The devil has a low conception of who you are. Watch this. Here's what he thinks of you. The devil appeals first to man or woman as being animal only. You are an animal to him. He's an angel. You're an animal. He appeals to us first being, as being animal only, calling us to satisfy our material appetite as though that were the sum total of life. God never so appeals to us even in our fall. Now keep reading. This is beautiful. The divine plan is ever that of recognizing the divinity in man and woman, the magnificence of his spiritual being. And this gets even better. Ruined magnificence today and yet truly magnificent in ruin because capable of communion with God. My, hallelujah is right. We are not brute beasts with raging passions that are driven by our clamoring appetites. I know Esau came in panting and huffing. (sighs) Jacob, boy, I am so hungry. I could eat anything. Give me something now. What a tragic mistake. That boy was run by his appetite and ruined by it. (sighs) Throw him some raw meat. That's the devil's command. Throw him raw meat. Get him addicted. Then trash him. Thus, when he goes to Jesus, he begins the appeal to uncontrolled appetite, appetite, so that the dopamine of that addiction for food, the dopamine of that addiction for drink, the dopamine of that addiction for sex kicks in right there. I got to have it now. I have to have it. (sighs) Treats us like we are beasts. Does God do that? Look at God. Oh, these are beautiful. If anyone is in Christ, 
He, she is a new creation. The old things of your past life have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Some of you here today are troubled by your past life. You're not sure what to do with it. You're hearing this series as, as it unfolds and you're saying, oh man, you don't know my past. I got great news for you. Jesus does. And he loves you with that past. He says, give me your past. I'll make it brand new. Just give it to me. Oh, man, you're not a brute beast. Look at this. This is a John 1, verse 12. To as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right, the power, the authority to become children of God to those who believe in his name. You know what? I'm a child of the king. A child of the king with Jesus my Savior. I'm a child of the king. You're not a brute beast. You do not have to be driven by that appetite. Not you. You're you're the child. You're a princess. You are a prince of the king. Oh, my. Darwinism. An evolutionary naturalism may declare me nothing more than a sophisticated ape with a tinge of conscience. But Jesus battles the devil to the dust of that wilderness floor to assure us, you and me, we're children of the king. We're children of the king. Oh, no wonder. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish like the brute beasts but have everlasting life. This is the Jesus Christ who came down to this earth to win us back to God. This is the Jesus Christ, by the way, who's coming soon to take us back with him. But here's the deal. We need to shift paradigm, shift the paradigm in our thinking. Here's here's what I'd like to suggest you take home as the one sentence from our teaching this morning. We need to turn our temptations into tests. Would you just lock that in your mind? We need to turn our temptations into tests. And I mean, of all people on this planet, those of us living in this university environment, we know all about the meaning of tests, right? We do it for a living. You study for a while, then your knowledge is examined. You study some more, then your knowledge is retested and reexamined. Isn't that it? Test after test after test. Nobody likes a test. You're absolutely right. But every teacher knows that if you're not tested, you'll not grow. So we live with these tests on this campus, examinations over and over again. Why? You know why. Because you're being prepared for a phenomenal future. You've been dreaming of this career all your life. And now that future is almost within reach. But you can't step into that future until you've been vetted and tested. Once you're tested, you're welcome. You're welcomed into that uh, fraternity of professionals just like you. But you have to be vetted. You have to be tested. And so it is with our, our Heavenly Father. First... The dream, and the dream is clear. I don't know if you're watching these James Webb Space Telescope. You see these pictures that are coming back? These infrared pictures? Absolutely phenomenal. The dream is one day, with the creator of those 
13 billion light years away galaxies with the creator and you and me. We walk together with Christ. And we'll spend eternity discovering the universe. Oh, don't ever let go of that dream. Never, never, never let go of it. But first, the test. To be tested, to be vetted, and then brought home. You got a problem with that? We do it on this planet day in and day out. But that's the problem. Somebody's trying to flunk us. Somebody keeps putting the L on our forehead and reminding us we're losers, we're failures. That somebody wants nothing more than to toss us under the ash heap of the human race. But a capital S somebody came down into this, this, this life and bearing our own humanity, he takes the tests in advance of us. He takes the examinations, endures the crucible. Some of you are saying, uh, I don't know, do I? He didn't have, uh, Jesus took my test, come on, he didn't have a laptop through which he could surf from porn site to porn site like I do. He didn't get these dopamine hits that wear off faster and faster so that I have to go deeper and deeper into the dark web just to get my hits. He doesn't know. He doesn't know the life I live. Oh, my friend, hold, hold that thought. Take a look at these two lines. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. The end of chapter 2, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. One more. Desire of ages, we have nothing to bear which Jesus has not endured. Come on. Let's just cut to the chase. Was Jesus a red-blooded male? Yes or no? Of course he was. He was a red-blooded male with dopamine and hormones and testosterone like you have if you're a red-blooded male? Yep, all of the above. Let's not mistakenly conclude that somehow when Christ comes here, he does not experience the subtle force of sexual temptation. He has everything. He had everything you have. It's true he didn't yield to the temptation like you and I have, but he was thoroughly tested, thoroughly vested, vetted, rather, on the sexual front in order to qualify at Calvary as the Savior from every human temptation, not just sexual, any addiction, every temptation. Here in the right. And he wears a T-shirt now in heaven that says, been there and done that. Somebody handed me a note afterwards to correct that. The, the note said, you should say, he wears a T-shirt in heaven that says, been there and beat that. Well, I like that too. But he's done the, te- he's done the temptation just as you do the temptation. But he said no. Wow. Battles the devil for the power over the temptation that is my killer and yours. My. So where are you going with this, Dwight? Well, let's put it on the line again. Put that line in front of us. He learned obedience through what he suffered. At Calvary, it's the ultimate learning. 
At at, At Calvary, the ultimate obedience. At Calvary, the ultimate suffering. Which is why we must do as he did. We have to turn our temptations into tests. To no longer regard them as brutal assaults on our dignity, but as divine testings and examinations in heaven's strategy to save the human race from the destruction of the devil. That's it. To turn our temptations into tests. To know that every time that temptation comes, God has already pre-tested the water, and he's sure that you with him, me with him, we win every single time. Well, I've got to read it one more time before I sit down. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Because when you walked into that, the room of that temptation, listen carefully, when you walked into the room of that temptation, you thought you saw everything around you. What you missed was a door to your left. And when that temptation moves in for the kill, you'll hear a voice whispering, get out. A door will open. God promises you. If you've got the temptation, he already knows you win with God's power. But if you're faltering, if you're weakening, just look for the door. You'll hear a voice inside of you say, out now. God will never let you be tested above what you are able, but will with every temptation Make a way of escape. That's it. That's the truth. Martin Luther, the great reformer, had a prayer he prayed, and I want to share that prayer in closing. Frederick Dale Bruner, in his his, uh, commentary on Matthew, records this passage. It's describing Luther, and we'll get to the prayer. You'll see. Luther preached to his parishioners just as we are doing here together. Luther preached to his parishioners that when the devil tempts believers, they can be encouraged by the fact they know him who conquered the devil for them. We know Jesus. Thus, for example, when believers are fighting impurity, can you be a believer and fight impurity? Are you kidding? Thus, for example, when believers are fighting impurity in themselves or the desire for revenge or for glory and are driven almost crazy by these lusts, they can be encouraged when they realize, and that these are Luther's words, this is the devil making me so hot right now. And the moment you realize that, the battle, Luther, Luther says, is half, half won. Then, now still quoting Luther, fall down, Luther says, and say, O Christ, who has overcome the devil, help me. Then the devil must soon fall. Isn't that a prayer? O Christ, who has overcome the devil, help me, please, now. And the promise is, door, go.
Because if every temptation is a test, then I say, Lord Jesus, lead me into temptation. And when you do, I too shall cry out by your grace, O Christ, who has overcome the devil, help me. And he will. He promises. He will. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil and the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.